Father, we thank you so much that we can rejoice and with, that you're our heavenly Father and that we can come to you with all our needs knowing that you know about them already, but you love to hear your children ask you for the resources to do what they need and, and to provide. Lord, you love to be a father that provides. And God, we, we ask your forgiveness for not being childlike people that, Lord, we have resisted uh, the way that you do things, that you just desire to give and, and you want us to just receive. But, Lord, we have this tendency to just think we have to earn our way with you. And, Lord, we ask you would change our hearts. Keep us uh, gentle and childlike. Lord, we, we don't have it in us. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your grace. And we ask your forgiveness for all the places we fail. And, Lord, we need um, to be washed clean again. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come here, that we can be anywhere, and we can look to the Son of God in faith, and you cleanse us by the blood on that cross, Lord. And we, we rejoice in that. We stand in it with confidence today, and we pray that your word would speak now to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a, a lot of verses this week, so I made sure... Uh, BK had a lot of work to, uh, but we're actually going to show you a lot of the verses because we're going we're gonna, to um, be referencing a few different places. So the first place we're actually going to start is Hosea chapter 5. So if you want to get your, your finger in Hosea and one finger still in Genesis chapter 45, we're not in Hosea yet, so take that down. Don't let them see it. It's a secret until the time. All right. Uh, so... By way of introduction, we've been going through Genesis verse by verse. We've been seeing God's work through Joseph and God's work in Jacob, his father. And Jacob and his ten sons were still up there in Canaan, up here. And then Joseph is ruling basically the world, second in command down here in Egypt. And there was a famine in the land. And so the brothers had come down to buy grain down in Egypt they had gone back, and now they've gone back. So this two times now they've gone back and forth between Canaan and Egypt. And the last time, as we left off, we saw that um, Joseph had kind of played this trick on them to see if their hearts had changed yet. Their hearts, of course, were wrong. They were sinful because they had, they had um, sold their brother into slavery, and they had hated their brother. They had sinned. And, and their hearts took a long time to change. God was working, though, in their hearts. And Joseph, he was, he was giving them his test. And the last test he gave is he put his silver cup in, their sack, in the sack, uh, one of the sacks, which was for Benjamin. And he was testing to see if all the brothers would, would just send Benjamin to prison or whether they would take responsibility for their younger brother like they said they would. So... The question, I had a question this week about that because we had talked about that and someone asked, well, what was the silver cup? Because Joseph said this silver cup was a silver cup of divination or one with which he would divine. And it was a divining cup. And, and so that was kind of weird. We think, well, that's not biblical. We don't use cups to divine, right? That's not, certainly not how God works. Uh, so I got a question about that this week. So I wanted to kind of, I thought about it and I thought the best answer I can come up with is that Joseph uh, wanted to know God's will in different things. And so he used this cup to determine God's will. Now, that's not unheard of if, if you think about they had this thing called the Urim and the Thummim, 
in the Old Testament where they would find God's will from these two stones, like a white stone and a black stone maybe. There was other different objects, a fleece, where people would use these objects to see how God would work in these objects to see what his will is, just like a yes or no question, okay? So Joseph might have been doing that, but then it made me think about Jesus. You know, because Joseph makes you think about Jesus, right? We have seen or someone, I guess, uh, this week I found out, someone had counted all the ways that Joseph represents Jesus, and they found 68 similarities between Joseph and Jesus. So I thought that was pretty cool. But this one I, was, I thought was cool too. So Joseph had this divining cup, this cup with which he could determine the will of God, and you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and what's going on with him is he's drinking a cup that God had given him, and that cup was the cup of suffering. That, that God was asking him. And I thought that was a really neat parallel where Jesus determined the will of the Lord through suffering. And uh, so I, I thought that was a real neat kind of, we didn't cover that specifically, so I wanted to bring that up right at the beginning here. But all these brothers, they find the cup, the brothers say, hey, we'll go to prison, we'll be slaves forever because we love our brother now and we can't change the situation that we're in, so we're just going to Come back and be your slaves. But then Judah, he had this brokenhearted prayer, and he had this brokenhearted confession of their sin to Joseph. And so Joseph was pretty excited about that. And what happened is Joseph, he reveals himself to his brothers. This is where we're at right now. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers after their confession of sin. They confess their sin, and then Joseph is like, all right, there's no need anymore for there to be anything in between us. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And, and I told you that when we studied this next time, that we would look a little bit at the prophetic view of that about how the Jewish people are going to respond to Jesus being revealed to them. So in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, it says this, I will return again to my place. And when you read that, I want you to think heaven. Jesus, I will return again to my place in heaven till they acknowledge their offense then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And that word affliction is also translated tribulation. All right? So a lot of people have this idea or question of what the whole tribulation is about. God just wants to make the world a terrible place for seven years? Is that what's going on? He's just mean and angry and he's been holding up his crankiness inside? No, that's not what it's about. God has been preserving the church. He takes the church up into heaven. That, that time is complete. And then there's seven years where God's heart turns back to the nation of Israel and he, he draws them back into a relationship with him, even though they've rejected him. And here it says that he will, he will return again to his place up in heaven. He's going to go to heaven until they acknowledge their offense. And remember, it's just one, a singular. That offense is just one thing that they did wrong, of rejecting the Messiah. That's what the Jews did wrong. They, they rejected him. And then it says, during their time of affliction or tribulation, they will earnestly seek me. We see in Jeremiah chapter 30 that this time, this last seven years, that may be coming soon in our, our, our world, is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is the other name for what? Israel. Israel. So during Israel's trouble, Jacob's trouble, they are going to earnestly seek him. We see this played out in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19. We see how God is working during that time. And they will, at the end of the time, they will realize Jesus is the Messiah, um, almost exactly like in our story here. 
with, jo- with Joseph and his brothers. When they confess their sin, Joseph reveals himself to them. Well, confession then is so important. When we finally stop being stubborn and we confess our sins before the Lord, so many times we get this new revelation of who God is and what God wants to do, what God wants to do. So we are going to see seven Ps. So if you have your little note page or if you take notes, there's going to be seven Ps in this chapter. And if you, ta- if you write in your Bible, who writes in their Bible? You guys like writing in your Bible? Okay, so for the writers in their Bible, uh, I, I ha- I'm going to use brackets today. So put brackets around verses 1 through 3, and that's going to be revelation of his person. Uh, 4 and 5, put a bracket around those. And this is in Genesis 45, yeah. Uh, so 1 through 3, 4 and 5, 6 through 11, we're going to see what that is. 12 and 13, 14 and 15, 16 through 22. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm just, <laughs> calm down. I'm going to get it. All right. So we're going to see the revelation of his person in 1 through 3. So person, you could even write person right there. Purpose in 4 and 5. Providence in 6 through 11. Praise in 12 and 13. Proximity in 14 and 15. Peace in 16 through 22. And provisions in 23 through 28. So I like writing in my Bible sometimes. Not my new Bible. I haven't broken it in yet. Have not highlighted it yet. I'm waiting. I don't know what for, but it just doesn't seem like it's ready yet. Got to wait for it. So let's begin here in chapter 45, verse 1. It it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed or terrified in his presence. So they rejected him the first time that they had Joseph in their lives. The first advent of Joseph, you could say, they rejected him. And does that remind you of the Jewish people? Yeah, as, most for, as a whole, they rejected him in his first advent, his first life. But they are amazed at his second coming. Isn't that amazing? In the future, this is exactly what happens with the Jewish people. When it looks like all is lost at the end of the tribulation, Jesus will make himself known to them. In Zechariah chapter 12, it says, verse 2 first, it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to the surrounding peoples, and they will lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. So this is that end times when during the tribulation where there's going to be this war and Armageddon happening all at the in Jerusalem and it's going to be everyone in the world is going to be only concerned with Jerusalem. And then verse 10, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn as him who mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one who grieves for his firstborn. 
You're seeing this heart change in the Jewish people. They will look on him whom they pierce. And we get a little even more insight in the next chapter in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. Then one will say to him, what are those wounds between your arms? And then he will answer, these are which, the, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And this is this moment when he reveals himself to them and they, they realize, oh my goodness, Jesus is the Messiah. And those who believe will be saved at that time. It's amazing. So from this little chapter, from this part of Genesis chapter 40, back in Genesis 45, we see a few things revealed about Joseph that we can also equate to Jesus, that we can see as a picture of Jesus. Number one, that he cares deeply for his brothers, right? It says he wept aloud. You don't weep about something you don't really care about, right? So he cares deeply. And again, Jesus cares for us, for all the people, for especially his brothers. And he cared about the father. What Joseph said, how is my father doing? He cares about his father. Also, he, it says, you know, we learn that he is the son. He reveals himself to be the son. And then the last thing is that we learn that he reveals that he is terrifying. He's someone to be afraid of. You know, when Jesus came the first time, was anyone afraid of him? No. He came gentle, lowly, meek, as a baby. No one's scared of a baby. Even, you know, honey, I blew up the baby. That wasn't even really that scary. But, I guess Chucky, but he's more of a, like, little kid. So, babies aren't scary, generally. And that's how Jesus came, because he, did, he wanted people to know that part of his character first. That part of his character is more important to him. But there's another part of his character and person that we need to understand, and that is he's not to be messed with. He is the king. He's the ruler. He is terrifying. And I find this best illustrated from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Mr. Beaver, you remember him? If you haven't read, you've got to read it. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't listen to what Miss Beaver tells you. Who said anything about safe? Talking about the lion, Aslan. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. I love that. Safe. There's nothing safe about Jesus, but he's good. If you can listen to him and obey him and call upon his grace, he is good and he'll receive you, but he's not safe. He's not to be trifled with. So I, I like that. So I see all these illustrations of revelation of his person in verses 1 and 2. Next, we see the revelation of his purpose. Why did all these things happen the way that they happened? In verse 4, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me there. For God sent me before you, to preserve life. So how does this show us the heart of Jesus or the purpose for everything that has gone on? The purpose, you could say, of Jesus or of Joseph in this situation is, number one, close relationship. What did he say? He said, come near to me. You didn't go through all of this for us to be neighbors across the city. 
He said, I want you guys to be my next door neighbors. I want you to live in my house. I want you to be snuggled up with me. That is the purpose of all of this is closeness of relationship. Number two, forgiveness and restoration. That's the other thing. That's what the purpose of all of these trials and these famines and this provision and the miracles and the dreams and all that we've seen. The purpose was forgiveness and restoration. Number three, life. He sent him to preserve life. Jesus came that we may have life and life more abundantly. So all of these things happen for a reason, and God is not trying to make your life boring. God is not trying to keep you in a place of unforgiveness and not, re- not restored, and God is not trying to keep you away. His purpose is very clear, and Joseph demonstrates for us in these two verses the purpose of God. Do you ever get grieved by your own failures or sin? Yeah. Well, Jesus is not coming into your life to condemn you. He's not. We, we have, let's see this. He has paid the price. He took care of the sin. And so he is not coming to condemn you. Now, conviction is good. Conviction is great because it leads us to this place of confession. But when we get grieved and when we start to beat ourselves up about our sin, we're in a place of disobedience. Now, what do I mean by that? We have this temptation to beat ourselves up when we fail. And all that proves when when a Christian is very hard on themselves is that you don't believe what God says about you. He says, in our flesh dwells no good thing. We don't like that verse, and we don't want to believe that verse. We want to say, I shouldn't have done that. I'm better than that. And it's really a form of pride. Saying, oh, God's up there saying, oh, you you really thought you were going to do better? Because I know you. I know you're terrible. And I had grace, and you rejected me. You didn't come to me. That's why you failed, because you're a miserable sinner, and you didn't come to me. I could have changed this situation, but no, you didn't come to me. And it's pride, and the Bible says, no, you're not okay. No, you shouldn't have expected better of yourself. No, that's not how it works. That's what the Bible says. Paul teaches us the difference between our flesh and the spirit, and the whole battle in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And if we had four hours, like Chinese pastors teach for four hours, you guys are lucky. I was going to read all of Romans 6, 7, and 8, but we don't have time. So that's your homework. Go home and read it. But coming down on yourself is nothing more than pride, and it's not the heart of God. And Joseph says right here, don't be angry with yourselves about your sin. You guys were sinners, but God has worked out a miracle. God has done great things. What is God's heart? It's to acknowledge our sin. That's what we're supposed to do, to confess it. Remember that we are but dust. You remember in a psalm, I can't even say it with a straight face anymore. In Psalm 103, 14, he says, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. And in the old King James, it says, He remembers we are but dust. And I just, that's, that's a real good for my pride to hear that. 
Jesus and church and Christianity is not about cleaning yourself up. It's about having your sin consistently washed away and rejoicing in what Jesus did on the cross. When we do that, obedience flows. You just you love to do God's will when you know that your sin is being constantly washed away. And that's what, what's so different about the real church rather than the church that's trying hard and the church that's, that is um, legalistic in its, in its way of thinking of pleasing God. A real church has a heart change. It just happens. So verses 6 through 11 now are the providence. We're going to see the providence in this situation. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God is always working behind the scenes. Do you believe that? You can. It is a promise from God. And his promises are structures already formed. You can trust it. You can have faith in it, no matter what it looks like. Well, what if my child dies? What if I lose my job? What if I lose everything? What if my spouse turns on me? What if Satan picks on me? Ask Job. All those things happen to Job, right? He has a lot in common with us. And those are some of the worst things that could happen in our life to cause us to question. All of them happen to Job. And you know what he said in Job 13, verse 15? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. It means even if God kills me, I mean just flat out takes a sword and chops me in half, I will trust him. Wow. Job had an inner trust in God that God was watching him and God would reward him for doing what was right. And what's right? Giving God glory is always right. That's what Job learned. That's what Job had in him is that giving God glory is always right no matter what the situation is. I can give God glory. It's not what our flesh wants to do at all. Our flesh loves to complain. Our flesh likes to think about itself and comfort and all these things. But giving God the glory is the right thing to do. And this is how we get through unexpected challenges in our life. It's so powerful to see someone who just trusts in the Lord. I I just finished this book called Heavenly Man with Brother Yoon, this brother in China that just has gone through immense persecution has suffered more than any of us could ever imagine. I mean, torture that's just unbelievable. And to see his faithfulness, that all he wants to do is glorify God in those situations just is so encouraging for us. That's why the book is popular. That's why these stories are out there. Joseph, what he's doing is drawing the attention of his brothers to the plan and purposes of God, not their sin. That's a great brotherly thing to do. Hey, you have totally messed up, brother. Now, let's look at God's plan. 
Not let's keep messing, let's keep digging up your skeletons and talking about all the bad things you did. No, that's not the way to do ministry. The way you do ministry is draw people's attentions to Jesus. Draw the attention, draw the focus, help them understand what Jesus' purposes could be in this. That's how Joseph does a great job in ministry here, and it's a perfect picture of Jesus. He doesn't let the sin just, he, the sin is done, the sin is forgiven, and now he says, now look at how God is going to turn this around for blessings and for good. God has provision for you. That's what we learn in this, these verses. No matter what the famine is, no matter what the sin is that has marked your life, God has provision for you, and he's going to take care of you. And we, we can believe that. We can stand upon it. Verse 9, there's more provision here. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says, your, uh, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. Lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Provision. God will provide for you. Joseph taking the responsibility and saying, I personally will provide for you, my family. Jesus does the exact same thing for us. He says, I will provide what you need. God has a plan already in place to provide what you need. We need forgiveness. Well, guess what? God has a plan for that. It's called justification. Well, how do I get this justification? Anyone know? By faith. Excellent. Well taught, theologically sound church. By faith. Well, I have another need. After I'm saved, after I'm forgiven, I have a need to become a better person because I'm awful. And and I need to be more Christ-like. I see that now. So how do I become more Christ-like? Well, that's a word called sanctification. The process of becoming more Christ-like and more godly. Well, well, how do I get this sanctification done in my life? By faith. That's the part that blows people's minds. They can understand, oh yeah, salvation and forgiveness, that comes by faith, I get that. But God has also provided, he's made the provision, he has the resources available for your sanctification too. Not just beginning with God, but the going on with God. Not just having your sin washed away, but living in a godly, Christ-like manner. That comes by faith as well. And that is the most freeing message that we'll always hit on, and I had to do it again, and I always will. Faith brings sanctification into our life. And God, because God has made the plan. God didn't just say, all right, you're saved, now let's see what happens. He doesn't do that. He doesn't leave things to chance. He makes provision. He says, you're going to need this, and I have it ready for you, so come and ask me for it. You're going to need this. I have it ready for you. I know what you're going to need. He says, I don't want you to live poverty. How many Christians are poverty-stricken Christians spiritually? Where they, they're saved, they know Jesus, but man, their spiritual life is poverty. And, and they're struggling with sin and, and just like, where is the spiritual vitality in your life? Well, God made a provision for it. 
but they have taken it back, their life back, and they're like, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need to spend time with Christ. I don't need to pray. I don't need to trust. And Jesus is like, no, you do need those things. That's the system I set up. You have humility, I give you grace. You have faith, you access my grace. That's how it all works together. It's amazing. Well, we get to now verse 12, and we see praise. This is the section called praise, verses 12 and 13. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father all my glory in Egypt and of all you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. So Joseph, he tells his brothers, I want you to go to my father and talk about me and all my glory, all the good stuff about me. And this is a lot like Jesus as well. He says, tell what you see in me. Tell what you know about Jesus. Speak forth the praises who called you out of darkness. That, that reminds me of the verse in 1 Peter 2.9, where it says, you are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God already knows everything about his son, Jesus, doesn't he? But he loves to hear about what his son, Jesus, is to you. What your opinion of Jesus is. Talk to the father about his son. I love it when someone tells me something that my son does good. You know, when James is helping with the, with the hospitality and he's just doing a great job and he's serving and Serenity comes up to me, she's like, James is just such a blessing. I'm like, I, n- I already knew that. I already knew that, but I'm so happy inside that you know it now too, that, he know- that, that Serenity can, can tell me that. And that's the exact same situation. God, our Father, is overjoyed when he hears about his son Jesus and the wonderful things he's doing in your life, even though he already knows about them. That's what, why we praise the Lord. It's very healthy for our relationship with, with the Lord. Now we get to verse 14 and 15, where we learn about the proximity that Joseph intends. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers, and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now this is describing, this is very important, this is describing a close relationship. In America, we are super, super, like, space bubbles are important, right? None of you are, like, super close. And if you are super close, it's because you're married or dating or engaged, and we can all just tell, and it makes us sick, but... We're cool with our space bubbles in America, all right? But Jesus here, or Joseph, Jesus, Joseph, I'll use them interchangeably, who cares? Uh, Joseph, he, he's drawing a close relationship. He, he wants feeling. He wants touching. He wants love and acceptance. He, he wants joy and family. He wants all these things, all these things. So I've done this illustration before. It's super, super awkward. But I'm going to use you, Spencer. Can you be my illustration? Absolutely. All right. So this is, this is about where we'd have a comfortable conversation, right? All right. And then what, what if I'm like this? A little, a little less comfortable, right? 
Everyone see him starting to sweat a little. He's getting a little red, a little flushed up in there. All right, now, now if I put my hand on your shoulder, a little, little more, right? It's getting, getting deep. Now, I touch his cheek. Whoa. First of all, glorious beard, by the way. Thank you. Very, very soft. I love it. Okay, it's getting weird. Now, now what if I get like this close? A little odd. A little, little odd, right? Now, if I were to kiss, I won't go there. But if I were to kiss, if I were to kiss him, just mwah, you know, they do other countries have no problem with this. Maybe they got it right. But it's weird for us because we are ingri- we have learned that intimacy is to be feared at all costs. Do not get close to me. You might hurt me. And Jesus is teaching us here that he will not hurt you when he's intimate with you. And he will draw you in until you are way uncomfortable. Have you ever thought about the verse that says Jesus will wipe every tear from our eye? For you to wipe someone's tear off, you have to be like right up in their grill. And you have to put your hands on their face. And you have to rub it. And, and you have to, it's this, it's this touching that's so crazy for us. But that's what Jesus is after. That's what life is supposed to be like. That's why your mom probably can do that, and she's about it, right? Because there's that one relationship that God has given you a glimpse of what real intimacy and relationship with him is supposed to be like. He wants the closeness. He wants to be that close. And he loves the beards too. It works. All right. Joseph, he wept on his, the neck of his brother. I mean, I can just picture the slimy, tear-stained neck and both of them just crying and weeping so happy and so close. And then after that, what happens? They talked with him. There's, there's conversation. Things go so much. Do you guys ever struggle with your conversation with the Lord? Like it's like forced or like it's, it's a struggle. It's hard. I do, yeah, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what to say. And sometimes that's because we have neglected the intimacy first. We've neglected the weeping on his neck. We've neglected to let him weep on our neck. And that closeness with him, it has to precede the conversations. You know, so remember those things. Peace is our next heading in verses 16 through 22. Spencer, thank you for being my guinea pig. All right. Now a report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Joseph and his servants well. Pharaoh, excuse me, pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households uh, and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey. Uh, that, that word, that phrase provisions for the journey, you could highlight that. It's going to be the heading of our next section, provisions, but it actually peaks in right there. Uh, verse 22, and he gave to all of them to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver 
and five changes of garments. Now, we've seen this before, that Joseph is testing, does all this testing to see if his brothers will be jealous of his, of his little brother, Joseph, or Benjamin. Uh, but now the brothers still don't become jealous. And this is great. This is how forgiveness can change hearts. Uh, this is how peace can come into the world. You, you see those stickers, world peace. Well, how do we have world peace? Forgiveness of sin. That's how peace comes. Uh, did you know the Bible tells us where every war comes from? Every single war and every single fight. It's amazing. In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, which war in your members? And so world peace can be simple. If you surrender all your life to Jesus Christ, we can be at perfect peace with our brothers, with everybody, if we would surrender our will to the will of God, to the will of Jesus Christ. His brothers here have come to a point of surrender where they're like, ha, Benjamin, lucky guy. And they're just happy now. And that was not their heart before. They had a major, major problem with jealousy. And now their hearts are just fine because they've come to the surrender with Jesus Christ. World peace comes if we would focus on our relationship with Jesus. Now we see provisions. This is probably the most important section of this chapter. Verse 23, And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So Joseph provides all that they need for the journey ahead of them with his words. Joseph speaks a word, and all that they need is provided for them. This is pretty cool. This is really cool. Jesus provides all that we need for our Christian life at his word. So the Bible is to us these carts these carts of revival that we're going to see. The, the title of today's sermon is Carts of Revival. I didn't even tell you that. Now you'll know why. Carts, these carts are filled with provisions, and it's all that we need. And this Bible is filled with all the provisions, all the good things that you will need for your journey in this life. It's right here in the Word of God. I'm going to read you a few verses that are going to reinforce and illustrate this for us. In, for, in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So getting to know God is, is in the Bible. That's how you get to know God. And he says, as you get to know God, it will be everything you need for life and godliness. So important for us to be in the word. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 
And you can pick that apart and see all the different parts of our Christian life are in there. And what is told us about it? That it's Jesus who became all those things for us. And that's why the word of God is so important. Because this is where we get to know Jesus. In John chapter 1, what is Jesus called? The word. It's like he just says, you know what? Let me just make my name the same as the name of the book. So you guys get the point that the book is me. Getting to know me is all that you need because I have become for you all that you need. I will be your wisdom. Anyone ever need wisdom? Mm. He will become righteousness. Anyone have a lack of righteousness? Mm. Sanctification. Well, we need that. Redemption. Oh my gosh, he is everything. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So here in the book of Acts, Paul says, I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace. So as we're studying the word, we're going to learn about grace. And that grace, the word of his grace, when we're in the word and we're seeing his grace, it is able, he says. It has an ability. It's able to do something. And that something is to build you up and give you an inheritance. So your eternal life, that's set, your inheritance, you're right with God, and he's able to even build you up. Even in your daily life, your daily progression, your sanctification, he takes care of that too. All by being in the word of God. Because there are provisions in these carts. There are provisions there. And they're able to build you up. They're able to satisfy the hunger. They're able to grow you. Now in James 1.21, Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overthrow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So our relationship with this word needs to be meekly receiving it. Saying, okay, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to do it. I was having a conversation with a brother before church about George Mueller, and what we commented on was that he just did what the word of God said. God said, pray for this, I will provide. He just did it. He received meekly the word of God. And it, it was able to save not only his soul, but everyone that he came in contact with. He provided salvation. Now, in uh, 2 Timothy 3.15, I know we're hitting a lot of verses, but I just wanted you to get a nice round view of this. It says, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which, again, are able to make you wise, for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, we see this whole picture of the word of God being loaded with stuff for you. Loaded with spiritual goodness and resources and, and even power, even salvation and, of course, wisdom. And all these things, Joseph says, I'm going to send to you all these carts, and Jesus is saying, I'm, I have all these resources for you. Just trust me and come to me. Draw upon my resources. What did Joseph say? Leave behind all your stuff. He said, don't worry about your stuff. I'm giving you all the land of Goshen. All the best of Egypt is yours. Leave behind the stuff. You know what keeps us from reading our Bible so often? Our cares and concerns about the stuff of this world. And God so often is saying, Leave it behind. You, it's not that important. My word is what you need. 
So spend time there with me. Verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and they departed and, they, and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. See that you do not become troubled along the way. And this is a good word for us today. What could trouble us along the way? If Jesus says, I've given you everything, what in the world could trouble us along the way? Ah, thank you. Doubt, many other things that I'm sure came to your mind. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So Joseph says, don't get in trouble along the way. Paul says it like this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or edify. Some things are just not helpful. Well, how do I know what's helpful? We ask this question. Is this helping me on my journey? Does this edify me? Does this keep me on track? Does it draw my attention back to Jesus or distract me from him? See, they're, they're, G- Joseph wanted his brother's attention to be on him. He said, remember me. I'm here in Egypt. All you need is here in Egypt. This is where I am. So keep your eyes on me. Go get your father and come to me. Don't worry about anything else. Keep your eyes on me. And this is what we have here with, with uh, Paul. Paul is saying, not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. In 2 Timothy 2.4, he says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You guys sing the song, I'm in the Lord's army, when you're in... Yes, sir. Hey, good job. <laughs> he drafted us. He enlisted us. In his army, he saved us, and he's given us a task. Go get some people and come back, (laughs) kind of. To know him and make him known is the purpose of our life. That's all this life is about. That's the mission. So if it's not about that mission, why is it in your life? That will just slow you down. It will get you off track. We have so many other ideas. Oh, but I got to finish school. I got to do this. I got to do that. When you're free, made free by Jesus, you're actually free. You don't need the job anymore. Now, I don't want you all to go quit your jobs. Pray and do what God tells you to do. If your job is keeping you from knowing him and making him known, quit your dang job. Because that is so much more important. You would rather be poor than not know God and not be able to serve God. Some of you might need to quit your jobs. Some of you might need to get a job. I don't know, but our purpose in life is not our jobs. It's to know him and make him known. Anything besides that is getting in trouble along the way. Like we see here where Joseph says, don't do that, guys. Just come back to me. Remember, you know what would help you? Remember the closeness of my face. Remember my tears. Remember those things. Mm. He says, I am giving you all the provisions you need to make this journey. So be careful you don't get off track. You don't need other provisions. You don't need other paths. You don't need other goals or other aims. I am all you need. Do you know anyone that's ever gotten troubled along the way? Distracted, discouraged, depressed along the way? They have gotten their eyes off of Jesus Christ. And here in this next section is how we fix that. How we fix it when someone's gotten their eyes off of Jesus Christ, okay? It says in verse 25, 
Now, when they went up out of Egypt, they came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words, that's very important, highlight that, all the words which, which, jo- which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts, highlight that, which Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, ah, his name even changes. His whole identity changes. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive, and I will go to him and see him before I die. Look at what happens here. His heart revives. First, his heart dies. He loses heart. He gets burnt out. He's been in the promised land forever. He's been struggling. He is burnt out in ministry. He's burnt out in life. He probably wants a divorce from all his wives. He's, he is burnt out. Yet Jesus loves him still. And Jesus sends him some, a couple things that bring revival. It says it revived his heart. Do we want revival in our lives, in our church, in this city? This is the key, what we see here. Number one, we see that the word is what they first told him. When a church starts teaching the word of God, they're getting ready for revival. That's just the truth. When a church neglects teaching the word of God like this, verse by verse, they are on a path towards being burnt out, losing the passion, and losing the spirit of God. When a church will get in the word of God and listen to the message it gives, which is grace, 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 grace. They, they begin to see something. They begin to hear it. Okay? And this is what happens with Jacob. Jacob, he hears what is, they said, but they told him all the words which Joseph said. They, it took him a while to get through this, but some of it was probably boring. But they endured. They kept faithful to the word of God just like you. Sometimes you come to church and we're not in the most exciting chapter. Endure, keep coming, keep seeking the Lord. And then after these words have all come and sank in, then Joseph was able to see something. And what did he see? He saw the carts. He was able to see the carts. And these carts were sent to carry him. The carts, the provisions, which, as you guys probably know, is grace. Grace is the provisions. Grace is what revived Jacob, when he saw the substance that Joseph had sent, when he saw the something, and what is that for us? What revives us is that we see the Holy Spirit, which Jesus sent in the carts, when we see that Holy Spirit start to really be in us and appear in us, and his fruit starts to appear in our lives, that's when our heart revives when Joseph's eyes, when Jacob's eyes were turned to grace and he started to learn about grace and he started to see the practical workings of grace, his heart revived. Revival came. The key to backsliding is the word and grace. And it's funny how the Bible has a way of plugging those two things together. In fact, they just call it the word of grace sometimes. The Bible in the Bible is called, many times, the word of grace. I'm going to show you some of those verses. 
in Acts 14.3. Therefore, they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Guys, this is what happened in Acts, and it's what happened in our church this week. Sandra was healed. We've had healings happen before, and we're not seeking those things. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't have a sign out here saying, come and be healed. But it's happening in our church. God is hearing our prayers and doing miracles, and I'm very, very humbled by that. He says it's the word of his grace that they were bearing witness to. God was bearing witness to the word of his grace. When they talked about the resources of the Lord given freely by Jesus Christ, wonderful things followed. That's what that verse says. When they started telling people about the grace of God and all the things that are provided in the carts and teaching people the Bible, what happened is wonderful, miraculous things happened. In Acts 20, 32, now, so, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. We already read this verse once. And which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. So when you study and believe the resources of God freely given to us in Jesus Christ, it builds you up, which is changes you. And learning about grace through the word of God changes you if you believe it. That's how this works. In Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So now we have it transferred not only just from the word of God, but from your words. What are your words about? He says here, let it be, when we share the word with others, we must include the resources promised and sent by God. He says, don't talk to people if you're not going to tell them about my grace. I mean, you can tell them about the law, and as Christians, the law is important. We need to understand the law. But if you end your message with, God says, don't do that, that's true. But you only gave the law. You did not give them the, the, the wagons. That's like tell, coming to J Jacob and Jacob saying, get off your butt and come to Egypt. And Jacob's like, no, I can't. I don't understand how you would even expect me to do that. It wasn't until he saw the carts, when he saw the grace. And that's what we need to communicate with this world, is yes, you're totally wrong. And yes, God has resources to change you and to give you everything you need. So come to the Lord with us. That's how we be the church. That's how we do this. That's how we communicate what is edifying to people, not just condemning. Now, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So not only in just the word in us and not only our words to other people, but now he says, now you, what you say to yourself is just as important. I want you to sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The words of Jesus will implant grace into your heart like a song. Like a song. When you listen to the word of God, and then you look at the carts of God, the grace of God, the resources he gives, it changes your well-being, your internal attitude, your sadness goes away. And so this is what this chapter can show us. This is how we investigate Jesus in, uh, in Genesis 45. So we're all done. 